up people i have another banger of a conversation to drop this week for you all following my conversation with matt segal from the california institute of integral studies once i booked matt i immediately reached out to him and he graciously accepted my invite on short notice ever since i discovered his work on the pill pod and his connection with matt's work up at ciis i've been wanting to have this chat with him so without further ado, here's my chat with Chris Satur on rethinking German idealism, religion, and the left in North America and beyond. Boom. Here we are. Hello, Chris. <laughs> super, super excited to talk to you, especially, well, I mean, because I'm coming off a conversation with Matt Segal, and uh, I couldn't think of a better guest to have on afterwards to go and talk about uh, German idealism. Um, and I mean, you're—I mean, everywhere these days in terms of when it comes to German idealism. And uh, I love your work. I love everybody that you've been working with. So there's like a, a whole network of of scholars that you've exposed me to. And uh, just have really lit me up, man. I'm just, you know, uh, super excited to go and talk to you about uh, some of these scholars and your recent paper as well. So, uh, so welcome to the pod. Well, I'm uh, very happy to be here, Eric. And thank you so much for that nice little introduction here. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Um, I thought I would just go and start okay. off by, um, I guess, just sharing how I came across your work. Uh, and how we got kind of acquainted. Um, the first time I came across uh, you specifically was on the PillPod, uh, talking about vitalism, talking about a process, uh, a process philosophy, uh, and some aspects of, of, I guess, French spiritualism in terms of uh, Bergson and stuff like that. And uh, that's what really drew me into the pod, that pod, in terms of the, the plastic pills pod. Um, but how I got pulled into even uh, the pill pod is an interesting one as well, too, because, I mean, what drew me in was really Matt McManus's work in terms of postmodern conservatism uh, for various reasons. I mean, he kind of, uh, his, his online writing and kind of shot to fame uh, you know, critiquing Jordan Peterson, talking about postmodern conservatism. And uh, that's what really caught my attention because of my background, I guess, associated with guys like Ken Wilber and Habermas in particular, which uh, hopefully we'll be able to go and touch upon a bit as well there too, in terms of how that fits in with German idealism. Um, so that's what drew me to it because Pills eventually did... Um, I guess a video on postmodern conservatism. And then that's, you know, how I got pulled into that orbit. Um, and I mean, since then I've been following your, all of your work with great enthusiasm, um, particularly after figuring out that you guys are all Canadian, you're all from Toronto <laughs> and you guys are representing. So I really love the fact that you guys are going out there and doing that. Um, and that there's this really cool cohort of, Canadian scholars that are kind of 
up and coming. Uh, and you guys are just exposing me to so many good uh, scholars as well. Scholars that I didn't know about, particularly Sean McGrath. Hopefully we'll be able to go and touch upon a bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I guess we'll, I'll just leave it there and throw that at you there from there. I mean, how how did you get roped in, I guess, to the pill pod and or how did you meet everybody around York and stuff like that and start getting into German idealism specifically? I started, um, well, thank you for that question. Um, I started, so before I went into, um, before I went into university to do my um, degree in Bachelor of Arts in, in philosophy, I actually went to a community college before I did um, university. And I just took a regular like general arts and applied science program. And there was a retired Kantian scholar there actually um, named Brian Nakata. And he was a Kant scholar for a bit and then he just left the university and he really liked the college vibe. But um, I remember sitting in a lecture and at the time, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was just taking this degree. I was just taking this so I can get to university. And um, he uttered the words, Sapere Ude, by Kant, dare to know, have the courage to use your own reason. And it, that kind of woke me from my dogmatic slumber. Um, it shook me. And um, uh, from there, I started reading everything by Kant with him. And so when I got into university, I already had Kant underneath my belt. And I started taking everything that I could that was continental philosophy and anything to do with Kant or Hegel. Um, I hadn't read Schelling yet. Um, and so I was just obsessed with Kant and Hegel right through my undergraduate. They were two thinkers that I couldn't stop reading. I started a, a group called the Radical Continentalists um, at my, uh, my university, and I'm still good friends with all the members. Actually, one of the members, his name is Avi Munahur, and he's running for president in Mauritius, this little island um, off the close to Madagascar. And a couple of my other friends, um, they're finishing their PhDs, and they're all working um, in German idealism, my one friend Jeanette is working on Novalis. My friend Borna is working on Hegel, <clears throat> and so I, I'm working on Schelling. And so it just, it just, we we gravitated towards German idealism, and it just seemed that German idealism was kind of like the sun in a in a in a galaxy. All the other planets or all the other um, academic fields like phenomenology or structuralism kind of rotated around this this global sum that was German idealism. And um, I then had a kind of detour from German idealism. I started reading uh, some postmodern philosophy. I got really, really, I got pulled into um, Gilles Deleuze, who I'm not a big fan of anymore. Um, I was reading Foucault and, and Deleuze and Guattari and, and Derrida and stuff like that. But my heart really wasn't there. It like really wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't there in the sense that I thought this was fantastic. I was super, super interested in it, <clears throat> but um, something was missing. And so um, during my master's, during my master's, I met Pills and, and Matt McManus. Actually, I met Matt McManus at a, in a graduate course. We were re, um, <laughs> by this uh, 
kind of prolific professor that has a has a name around our campus. Um, his name is Brayton Polka, and he's a great theolo theological scholar and published lots lots of lots of texts for Lexington, um, the Lexington Publishing Company. Anyways, we all met, and we kind of gravitated towards each other. So, um, uh, Pills and 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 myself and another friend, Victor, who's also been on the pill pod, not Victor Brizzoni, but Victor H. He's also called the lit guy. Yeah, yeah. He was there. And um, uh, and Matt. And we were, you know, talking about Kierkegaard and Hamlet um, and Spinoza, who was a great love of mine. I wrote my honors thesis, actually, oh, on no Spinoza. Way. Yeah, on Spinoza. Um, so... So from there, we we just became a bunch of drinking guys. We would go to the bar and just <laughs> sit and talk um, at you know the university pub and just talk about philosophy uh, and concepts. And then we started doing our PhDs together, and we got much more closer. But the funny thing was is that you know Matt was in public policy. I think I think he was in public policy. I could be wrong about that. Um, the legal was, studies, the critical yeah, that's legal right, studies. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Legal studies. Um, I was with Pills um, in the humanities department. Um, and at the time, he was really working towards Baudrillard and Derrida and a lot of this stuff um, surrounding the language, um, uh, language, philosophy of language in regards to continental stuff. So, like, there's nothing outside the text and the death of the author and things like these. But um, after that, I, I, I kind of, um, I left, I left the work of Deleuze behind and started investigating in, in French, in early French philosophy, like 18th, 19th century. And I started reading the French spiritualists mm -hmm. who were actually really kind of like, um, medical physicalists so they were kind of into the vitalists from um montpellier were actually uh, doctors that were trying to heal the soul but in order to heal the soul they wanted to heal the body first mm. um this is um a lot of like barthes and theophilie de bourdieu and and then cabanet and um bichat and some of those other great french thinkers um that are kind of neglected in the West. And I thought this was a project. I was going to do this project on French spiritualism and its relation to vitalism because vitalism has such a vulgar understanding in, you know, the contemporary um, zeitgeist. Everyone thinks when they think of vitalism, they think of spirits and, and ghosts and weird stuff like that. And that's not the case. And, and French spiritualism, um, which has nothing to do with the spiritualism of like Alan Kardak, who believed that you could resurrect spirits from dead bodies or something like that. So yeah. nothing like that. But um, I started getting into people like Ravisson and and um, Ravisson's a, a thinker that was related to Schelling, actually, believe it or not, they had a good friendship. Uh, Ravisson studied with Schelling in Berlin and was going to translate um, his philosophy of mythology into French. So I had this relationship right there and when pills started the, the the podcast the pill pod sorry um there was no one really to talk about Deleuze and since I was at the time you know I was I was getting past the French theory you're um, recovering I was I'm, yes as I call myself <laughs> I'm a recovering Deleuzean yes 
from my recovering state, um, <laughs> I would come on and talk about uh, Deleuze and Bergson because Pills was working on uh, systems theory and yeah. its relation, and, and also some stuff on process philosophy. Yeah. So I could and dabble. Eric, Eric is really and, into that as well. In terms, Eric of, is very much into yeah. systems theory and semiotics. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, so there was a lot of overlap, and so we could all talk about Bergson and Whitehead, and uh, I don't know Nicholas Lumen like they do, and um, so there were a lot of overlaps. So I came on one time because I had asked Pills to do uh, an episode on vitalism. Because I wanted to... Well, there's a few episodes where you're yeah. touching on all these subjects. And I'll actually put that, those in the, in the show notes as well. I mean, they're amazing. I mean, they're, they're great chats and they're lively. Uh, and I mean, that's what really drew me in. And then, you know, and then eventually I just joined their Discord. Uh, and I mean, the sparks were flying. I mean, there was just so much good material coming out of there. And I was just like, wow. Like, I couldn't... Uh, well, I was just learning so much. I mean, you guys were dropping so much information in there. And it, for me, as somebody that was coming out of, of religious studies uh, mm -hmm. that was hammered with Habermas, um, all these subjects fit in nicely and neatly in terms of my interest, which was kind of forced upon me <laughs> in a certain way during <laughs> my... Uh, uh, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Habermas. Uh, you know, I'm happy that I, I, I slugged through it with certain professors and they exposed me to, to that strand of critical theory through his work um, and its impact on religious studies and theology, some aspects of theology, because um, it's, a, it's a dimension that doesn't get really talked about that much in, in critical theory these days. So mm -hmm. once I saw all that, I was just like, oh my God, like this is crazy. Like I'm so happy I discovered you know, all of your work uh, and Matt at that point was publishing all over. I mean, the man's a machine in terms of how much stuff he can go and put out. But what really struck me at one point, it was you and Eric were talking about Matt Seagal's work and 4E Cogsci. And I was just mm -hmm. like, whoa, I'm like, what, what, how, how, what the hell is Matt Seagal doing in, in this discussion? somebody from the California Institute of Integral Studies, which is really my wheelhouse that, you know, kind of I grew up in, in terms of that kind of, of literature uh, because of my interest in East Asian studies uh, and obviously, you know, some of the, the counterculture type stuff around figures like DT Suzuki and Alan Watts uh, and those types of, of figures. So I got drawn for a very long time into that sphere. So when I saw all these worlds colliding, I was just like, Oh my God, this is like so bizarre yet so exciting for me to see all these different schools of thought in a certain way that were coming together. Um, and just so many online kind of groups developing around this type of stuff. Um, and at this point, I mean, as well, I mean, you were, you really took off in terms of German idealism. It's like you went knee deep in at that point. Uh, and you started to, obviously, you created a, a whole sort of online community now around German idealism around this time as well, which <laughs> you pulled me in. And I've been getting like an amazing education out of all of this, uh, just listening to everybody um, that are involved on the Discord, that are involved on Twitter, uh, that so many of, of people that actually have podcasts now um 
and some people with very strong academic credentials that are, have great, you know, institutional roots. Uh, two of which, I mean, I'll drop right now is, I mean, Jason's worth and uh, Sean McGrath, which I had no idea uh, they had kickstarted the, uh, the shelling society of North America. Um, so I guess <laughs> this is the other thing too. Like, I mean, how, how and why do you think this is happening now with German idealism in a certain way in North America, like and 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 online around the excitement of of some of all this? What do you think is the reason around it? Well, I mean, I got pulled into German idealism by my mentor Joan Steigerwald, who were, who teaches at York. She's a, a philosopher of the history of science. And she, she teaches on Kant and Schelling and Fichte. And when I, I took her class, it was my, my last class actually for coursework, believe it or not, in my PhD. And it was like a, like a light went off in, in my head because it was a return to German idealism for me. It was a, like a, a complete, you know, complete circle. I went, the circle is now complete. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but I was like right back into German idealism and this time with Schelling. But the funny thing is, is that, and here's, and here's why I did this. In the 1970s and 80s, there was the Hegel Society and SUNY. So a lot of these books are being published by SUNY, S-U-N-Y. So the State of State University of New York. Um, uh, Giovanni and H.S. Harris were publishing all these books on Hegel, and there were the odd books on, on Schelling. So you could find a book by Alan White on Schelling. You could find a book by Robert F. Brown on Schelling. You could find a book by Dale Snow on Schelling. And there were some translations of Schelling's work coming out, like on University Studies, Bruno, and the 1936 translation of the Freedom Essay. But there was no real concentration on Schelling until I'd say the late 90s with people like Andrew Bowie. So I started um, looking into Schelling really seriously in like 2018. And there were no, there was nothing online for Schelling. Everything was dominated by Hegel. And anytime I tried to bring up Schelling, I would be, you know, told, you know, this is a Hegel place. You don't want to upset <laughs> Hegel bros. You never want to do that. So I was a little frustrated because at the same time, I wanted to I wanted to meet like-minded people that are interested in Schelling and Fichte, who, by the way, is also kind of neglected in, in the literature. And I thought the only way to do this would be to, like, seriously uh, start a community. And the only thing, the, the first thing I thought of at first was Facebook. So I did, I started a, Facebook group in around 2020, just before COVID hit. Okay. Um, on shelling and German idealism. And I just reached out to everybody. I reached out to every kind of scholar I could think of. Daniel Brizel, who's a Ficta scholar, Chelsea Harry, who's a shelling scholar, everybody. Bruce Matthews is a shelling scholar. I just um all these Gaunt scholars, and I was trying to tell them, look, I'm trying to make a community for all of us, students, academics, and I call call people that are not, you know, in school at the time or or not studying or have a degree. I call them enthusiasts. I think it's a nice term you yeah. know, because you're you're reading, you're interested, uh, but you're not in academia and that's totally fine. So I, I was 
trying to get this environment going, this community going. And then it just took off. It was yeah. like first, first it was a, a, a place where Schillingians could gather. But then we got Fichtians and Kantians asking me, hey, can, can we join too? Because we don't have a place either. It's like, really? Kant is everywhere. So then, yes. So then, you know, now we're a community of 3,000 people. And I started, you know, talking to all of these, these Schillingians and telling them about this and come join. And what I did was I made all of them admins because the group, I said, is not mine. I made yeah. the group. I facilitate the group but the group is all of ours. It's a community. And so like I'll facilitate if there's spam or something, but really I don't own the group. I made sure that everyone knew that this is our group. So everyone really liked that dynamic. And from there I decided to make a discord because that way, you know, we weren't just posting PDFs or quotes or asking questions. We can actually get a dynamic set up. And so the discord is actually great. We have, you know, we have some, we have Gabriel Gottlieb, who is a, uh, a Ficta scholar on there. We have Kyla Brock, who's a Schelling scholar. You're also on there as well, too, <laughs> running our um, world philosophy section, which I'm very happy that you are. Yeah. So there's, it became a really nice network, but I, I wasn't finished there yet. I wanted to, I wanted to also link um, because, you know, Twitter is a, Twitter can be a great place and it can also be a very scary place. Yeah. So, yeah. I signed up for um, for one of the first Twitter communities to come out there, which was a German idealism and German romanticism community. And I think we're up to 600 now. And that's really thriving too. So that's how I started doing it. I started doing, and then what I would do is, you know, it was COVID and my, my university library was shut down. So mm. I was like, what do I do? I don't have access to a library. I started buying um, all these used books Every, every text I could get on German idealism and history. I mean, I have all these texts I have from my undergraduate, but I started reading them and writing reviews and posting them on Twitter and trying to meet as much people as possible. And this is not just for me to network. This is because I really want a, a, I really want a, a community of just, you know, people that are in love, love with German idealism. Yeah. And the, fun, and the, the thing is, and you're right, sorry to jump all over the place, it no, not Eric. at all. This is fantastic. I mean, I love the background story. It, to all of it, this. it was it was Eric that introduced me to Matt Siegel, and I had never watched Matt's. You know, I made this inside joke to Matt that, um, and he really laughed about this. I made this inside joke. We were talking um, once, and I said, "Matt's videos are kind of like this." He'll pose a question and then look up to the sky to get answers from God or something, and then pose. <laughs> like you'll see his face. <laughs> you'll see his face. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just kind of laughed, but I I had never watched it. It was Eric that showed me who he was, and then uh, okay, okay. I kind of reached out to him, and then we started chatting. We had a a talk about Schelling and Whitehead, and that was really fruitful. And then next thing I know, I started we started another group called the Friends of Wisdom. So there was a whole bunch of videos of a whole bunch of us from different backgrounds, integral theory. Yeah. Um, Eastern philosophy, German idealism. Um, we had someone that was also really into psychoanalysis and Jung, and, and we had people that were into astrology and, and Steiner. So it was this really great eclectic mix of all of these different thinkers and people coming together. So I've been surrounded by a lot of people and a lot of thought, and it's been really, really, really inspiring to meet all of these people and to talk to them. 
because what I like doing is I, I'm not one of those people that, that won't, won't, you know, have a discussion with someone. If someone private messages me, I'm going to message, I'm going to respond back to them. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to engage with them, you know, unless they're delusions. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but still, <laughs> but still, yes. Yeah, so that, that's pretty much the kind of nexus of what's going on and how it all started. And, and uh, yeah, Matt is actually a really good friend now. Um, so we've we've um, we've talked about doing a couple other projects. Um, we did a we did a, an online Twitter space. Him and I, and we talked about Whitehead. He's the Whitehead guy. He yeah. he knows Whitehead better than a lot of people that I know. He's he's brilliant when it comes to uh, well, that's his, that, that's really his specialization in terms of of that. But I mean, through my conversation with him, it, it's interesting because. I mean, we, we all grew up on <laughs> almost the same diet <laughs> <laughs> of, of thinkers and, and people that have influenced us and stuff like that. Uh, so guys like uh, Jeremy Johnson and, uh, I mean, Matt, uh, and obviously Michael Brooks. I mean, this is the main reason why I went out and started my podcast in a certain way because uh, a lot of people don't know this about Michael Brooks. Is, I mean, he grew up on this particular diet. <laughs> of scholars and thinkers and stuff like that uh they go all the way back um and the interesting thing for me is i mean well jeremy and matt uh i mean because of where they started off eventually they you know they picked their guys and they they specialize i mean jeremy went after gene gepser and matt did uh whitehead but now them as well i mean everybody's going back to to German idealism. And to me, that's interesting as somebody that has a background, I guess, with Habermas, uh, that that's where he started. Right. Yeah, Habermas, I mean, he, Habermas has a, a fantastic, brilliant dissertation on Schelling actually. Exactly. Spent, yeah. It's a brilliant thesis. Um, one of the best actually, and it's on one of the hardest books that Schelling wrote on the ages of the world. Um, and it's very, very interesting um, how he how he reads Schelling. He's very, very good. He's a very good scholar, and he's very well at picking up a lot of a lot of the kind of subtleties in Schelling's thoughts. So he brings out the fact that Schelling is inspired by Kabbalah, by Jakob mm. Burma, and and the the Theosophical tradition with Oettinger and and um, Johann Elbert Bengel, and so. The great thing about it is, is you don't just get this surface layer reading with Habermas. You get this kind of multi-dimensional reading, that where you get the arguments, you get the premises and the conclusion, but you also get the background story of it. The what I love about it, the mystical aspect of it, and it's not just not the mystical, but that Schelling really wanted to take theosophical theosophical terms and make them into concrete concepts. And so Habermas does this really great job of of showing that that yeah. um that that process actually yeah no no i mean he, he's well to me he's an amazing scholar i mean either which way uh but i mean his interests what a lot of people don't go and realize is that he has a huge interest in uh uh kabbalah and the, the jewish tradition uh in terms of the, the jewish religious tradition not just from a cultural aspect and stuff like that which people don't really realize and for me i mean now that i'm out of academia and i've kind of you know like it's still there lingering in the back of my mind and and yet like i'm seeing that pop back around uh and like you said i mean there was this really hegelian moment <laughs> it's still thriving uh, it is. even yep. particularly within the canadian context i think about you know charles taylor and 
and even the idea of what so-called Canadian idealism is that it's all based on Hegel in a certain way. There's a few, you know, top names like George Grant and Charles Taylor. Um, but there's Schelling has been there in the background as well. Like Watson way back when, uh, who was part of the British idealism tradition uh, was very much into Schelling. Um, and now we have another big name in Canada, uh, Sean McGrath, that is, I mean, an amazing German idealist scholar all around uh, that you exposed me to. And I can't be, you know, like, I'm so thankful for you to go and, you know, start posting about him more and learning about his work. Um, how did you come across Sean's work first time around or when did it pop up on your radar specifically? Well, um, you see the, the, okay, so this is a kind of a longer story, but I, I'll get to it if you okay. don't mind. Yeah, sure. For sure. So, you know, Schelling has written so many philosophical texts and sometimes it's seen that he has like 10 different systems and that's not really true, but th there are certain scholars that write on Schelling's nature, nature philosophy, his identity philosophy, his, middle period, which starts with the freedom essay and the ages, and then finally his positive. So I was writing, I'm interested in, in his middle period, which starts with the freedom essay and goes all the way to the philosophy of revelation. The problem is, is there's not a lot of scholarship on this era. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of scholarship on the identity philosophy and the nature philosophy. We can thank, you know, the people that I've cited already, Andrew Bowie, Judith Norman, um, uh, Robert F. Brown, um, so many great scholars that have been writing on this earlier stuff, uh, Edward Beach. But this, when it came to um, the freedom essay and the ages of the world, um, there wasn't a lot of scholarship. And this is where I started reading, like even Jason Worth, Jason Worth's unbelievable text, The Conspiracy of Life, which is a series of meditations on different aspects of Schelling's thought. So, um, it goes from the, the Neoplatonic era, where he, you know, he's starting his first essays to Clara, this dialogue, to the Freedom Essay, to his Nature Philosophy. It's a, a fantastic text. Um, Jason is a brilliant scholar. Um, and so I was looking for this text, and my advisor, Joan, who knows Sean very well, said, you know, you should take a look at this book called The Dark Ground of Spirit and look at Sean um, McGrath's work. And I read it, and the first time I read it, now keep in mind, at this time, I didn't know anything about Jewish mysticism. I didn't know anything about Kabbalah. I didn't know anything about the mystical tradition. Um, but this book was a huge epiphany because then I started reading, I, st I reached out to another scholar named um, Wouter Hangraf, who's a good friend, and he's a, a scholar in Hermeticism and Esotericism. And so he also helped point out some things but Sean also knows him as well. So all of a sudden, I saw this hidden layer deep inside German idealism that starts off with the German Teutonic tradition. It starts off with, with Martin Luther. And then from Luther, it goes to Meister Eckhart and Nicholas of Cusa, Cusanus. And then from Cusanus, you know, Swedenborg and then Jakob Böhmann and Erdinger and all of these people that are all in they're in all of these texts. Hegel was inspired by Eckhart and Burma. Um, Schopenhauer as well. Schelling even more so because Schelling came up 
grew up in a, a kind of German, you know, sorry, a Lutheran pietist background. But Sean's book brilliantly, okay, brilliantly um, goes through all of these, this entire history. No, so it's a book, it's can't. a book on, it's a book in a sense on depth psychology um, that's looking at the, the, his argument is that it's Schelling, not, not Freud, that's created the unconscious, the unconsciousness or, or um, and it's because of this rich history with theosophy that um, we get an understanding of consciousness and unconsciousness and the unconscious is linked to the, the, the past and consciousness is linked to the present. And there, there's this rupture between the two and, and somewhere the subject is filled into there is, is split in the middle of that. But Sean's book, which I highly recommend to any of your viewers starts off slowly. It goes through the biblical text. It goes to the new Testament, of course, and and a lot of and it goes through a lot of um, a lot of a lot of the Kabbalah um, references um, through um, Isaac Luria and stuff, which is really important. But Burma is so important, and it was Sean, and I've had discussions with him about this about how important Jakob Burma is to Schelling's philosophy and to German idealism. He is someone that not a lot of thinkers know about and he's become one of my favorite thinkers and he's the kind of skeleton or the the heartbeat behind german idealism and the i mean post-kantian german idealism so after kant um and so this book is fantastic it goes through rich biblical it has rich biblical hermeneutics it goes into kabbalah it goes into um hermeticism esotericism it, he even has he shows the lineage from Paracelsus to Agrippa to to Burma. Like, there's so much work that he's put into this text. It's a brilliant oh, it's, text. But his work, just in general, and I mean, the online video that you sent me in terms of uh, his Luther talk, amazing. Like that, unbelievable. I like as somebody with a background in religious studies, like I would have done anything to be able to sit down and, uh, I mean, dive into his work. I mean, because he's he's. I mean, his work is not only philosophical, but I mean, he has deep theological understanding of all these traditions and Christianity as a whole within the mix or in dialogue with German idealism. Um, and I'm still floored <laughs> about his, uh, his work on Heidegger. I mean, his Heidegger work for me was just like, like mind boggling for me. Uh, yeah. The way he reads Heidegger, he reads yeah. Heidegger as the kind of modern Luther, like that yeah. is just, you know, um, sorry, I interrupted you, but the, yeah, go on. Continue. No, no, sorry. I mean, that's exactly what it is. I mean, I mean, he he uncovers his deep Catholic roots in a certain way and how he's wrestling with the Reformation and, I mean, phenomenology and, you know, but yet you can see on the, the undercurrents of what he's kind of suppressing, which is basically his Christian uh, his Christian roots in a certain way, right? And he almost comes, well, he does. He eventually comes full circle at the end of his life in a certain way. And it adds this complexity to Heidegger that, one, I mean, I'm, you know, I did not know. Uh, and yet that interpretation of Heidegger has come to go and influence a lot of people in uh, postmodern theology. Uh, you know, guys like uh, Saputo or even him in dialogue with Saputo, uh, you know, in terms of his work, uh, in terms of postmodern theology, 
And I mean, that to me is something that's kind of part of my religious studies uh, stuff when I was getting into to uh, Habermas and how Habermas was kind of in cahoots with, well, you know, duking it out with postmodernists and where does critical theory go and fit in into this and how does he relate to religion and stuff. So, I mean, it's, for me, it's been an ongoing continuation of, of, you know, my studies. Uh, but what I love about it is that he's Canadian. <laughs> you know? uh, he's you know out that- there in the middle of nowhere out in the, you know, out East. I mean, doing amazing work and yet he's not mm-hmm. uh well to me anyways i mean he, he, it was somebody that i was not aware of and i find that nobody is really talking about and i mean even more interesting than latour and zizek yeah. in a certain way you know I in terms so. of in terms of his uh his writing and stuff like that yeah so um, he, he like this book made me realize that I had no background in medieval philosophy. So after reading that, I went on this, like, per, like, I went through this reading, you know, splurge where I was reading Augustine, Aquinas, Boethius, Anselm, like, Erogena, all the way up to, you know, the Theosophical tradition and the Teutonic tradition. So because of Sean, I had this rich and I, I'm not even one of his students. I had this rich theological back, this rich theological education from him. And I've only, I met him, well, I guess if you count three days, that's three times. Uh, and we've talked over emails, but yeah, so it's so funny. I never got a chance to tell him that actually, because I was, I, I was at the time when I met him, I was helping my advisor run the Shelling conference. I was helping, but I also presented as well too. So yeah, I didn't get a, a lot of chance, but we did We did end up talking. And he has a new book on the late Schelling, where he has this brilliant analysis of, of Schelling being this ecstatic theologian and, this, and having a kind of speculative ontology. And I didn't even know what a speculative ontology was until I started reading it. So um, yeah, so it's a fantastic text as well, too. So Sean is a really, really multi-dimensional um, thinker. He's got so much there. And the funny thing is I asked him, I asked him, like, I wanted to know, like, um, I had this t- chance to ask him one time when he was presenting what he considered himself. And he called himself an idealist, which mm-hmm. I thought, which I really liked. He said, you know, all my work is in idealism and I consider myself an idealist scholar. I really liked that answer because I like this idea that, that there here is a person working with this rich tradition and he's calling himself, you know, an idealist as opposed to just a materialist or a, a realist or an ontologist or this and that. Here he is sticking to the, the rich tradition and also presenting contemporary readings and understandings of it. So really profound for me. Actually. Yeah. No. And I mean, he's I mean, he's battling. I mean, the, you know, object on object uh, ontology folks. I mean, the heart, like speculative realism. I mean, he's in, he has his hand in all these other debates as well. You know, Latour, I mean, this is what I'm excited to go and talk to you about as well Is I mean, your particular paper in his book in terms of thinking nature um, and how this crisscrosses with, uh, with Jason's work as well. Uh, you know, in terms of his stuff, in terms of uh, with Schelling and his interest in terms of, well, I mean, just in terms of Buddhism and the ecological movement and stuff like that. Uh, and the fact that they're in cahoots through the Schelling Society in North America, like this is wild. Like this is like really cool 
well, one timing of it, um, and to see, you know, so many people that are being exposed to this kind of thinking, um, and well, this is the other thing too, that, I mean, like, cause you guys are all saying, well, you could go out and self-identify as a sort of shelling, uh, or even idealists, but their work in a certain way is rethinking German idealism. Like you guys are thinking with German idealism, yet transforming the, uh, the tradition in a particular way. Um, and the fact that it's taking root in North America to me is really interesting. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Do you think it's, cause I mean, it's coming in to the Anglosphere in a certain way, it's coming into North America. It's, it's interacting with the Canadian sort of and North American sort of long tradition of Hegelianism that's been there a lot, a long time. Now, all of a sudden, like, you know, that there's this stirring up of the tradition and a sort of rethinking of what that is. So I was curious to, to hear your thoughts, you know, like, what do you think is going on there? Is it just pure, like excavation of, of scholarly type, uh, proper interpretation or are you guys transforming the, the tradition as well? I mean, that's a great question. I think at the same, okay. So I think, so number one, I think any person that's a Kantian or a Fichtean or a Hegelian or Schillingian, um, they don't see the world as, as, as Hegel and Schelling and everyone else did, you know, in the yeah. 19th century. I think what we're doing is, is we're adapting their, our kind of modern lens on their, on their philosophies. For me, and I think Sean and Jason would agree, not that I'm trying to speak for them, is that Schelling's philosophy and ideal, German idealism is kind of a modern project in a weird way. Because if the beginning of it starts off with Hume's skepticism, it wakes Kant from his dogmatic slumber and he he starts doing this project to create this kind of transcendental philosophy and then this project from Kant ripples like you know like ripples in, in the water and then we get great thinkers like Schultz and, and Mendelssohn and Jacobi and Kant and Fick, sorry sorry Fichte Schelling all the way to Schopenhauer but it doesn't end there See, this mm. is the thing. People think it just ends with Schopenhauer. We go to Marx and then that's it. No. We get people like Lorenz Aachen, who Ian Hamilton Grant is working with, and Lotze. We get we get Herman Cohen and Cassier. And, and even in Germany, even before phenomenology, the, the early phenomenologists surrounded by Husserl were all Neo-Kantian. Mm. So there was this rich tradition. And even Heidegger. Heidegger was, um, and Karl Jaspers were the, the first to kind of, not in return, but rethink um, both Hegel and Schelling. And I think like for Heidegger and for Jaspers, it's because they consider them no, not idealists, but ontologists. They think there's a kind of rich ontology there that, that can be rethought. Now, of course, you know, Heidegger, Heidegger always turns everything into him. <laughs> <laughs> but I think really at the heart of it is, is that, as I said before, German idealism is this kind of nexus that everything kind of swarms around. And it's it's also such a rich kind of dynamic theory that there's more to it than just, there's no subject, there's no truth, there's, you know, I mean, these are, I'm just, 
see my project my problem with with postmodernism and i'm probably going to get into trouble for this and you're kind of like this a lot <laughs> um is is this you see every time i tell someone this they agree with me and then half the time when i say this they're also doing post-structuralism post-structuralism is like putting yellow tape around an object so just imagine you know the yellow police tape that you put around yeah, an object yeah, yeah. so it puts this yellow tape around an object and what happens is is that the philosophers come in and they dismantle the object they look at all the flows and ebbs what made the object let's say it's this pen that i'm holding and then that's it and then what's left is these pieces of the pen now that they've torn it apart what do they do now yeah well they don't present any how can we make new pens it's just it's a, it's a and i could be being very vulgar about this but this is how i see it and rightly they, so i would say they <laughs> they give you this they give you this image of these fallen pieces i yeah. by the way i think matt Segal, matt Segal would also believe with me as matt Siegel, sorry would also believe this as well i think he agreed with me when i was telling him this and so they we have this shattered image you know like as funny as it sounds Deleuze at the end of the cinema book says the reason why we love cinema so much is because we no longer believe in the world. Uh, and wow. I think this, I think this is the case right now, why German idealism is so powerful and why it's so, um, why it's being, why it's being brought back again is because I don't think we believe in the world anymore. I think we need to rethink nature. I think we need to rethink the subject. I think we need to rethink how people communicate and how people act with one another. We've been, you know, hibernating for two and a half years in our yeah. houses um, we had, we're at the, the heart of a, an ecological crisis there, you know, we're on the brink of possibly world war three, you know, I'm, be, I'm being very hyperbolic here, yeah. but you see what I'm saying. So there's Absolutely, things, yeah. we, there's things that we need to rethink. We need to rethink the human condition. And I think a lot of the, the kind of post humanism stuff is not going in the right direction. And I think Sean also agrees with that. He, uh, in his text, thinking nature, I think he mm. also agrees that instead of thinking post-humanism let's think about humans in nature we are part of nature as opposed to transhumanism or post-humanism um in that sense so i'm i'm in a hundred percent aligned with his thinking on that and that's what i really think is happening i think we're rethinking subjectivity and yeah. i don't mean in terms of uh performative performativity in butler's sense or or habits in the Humean sense and the kind of speculative empiricism that's going on and, and, and speculative realism. I really think we're thinking about what the dynamic human is. How do we move forward in this century? Absolutely. How do we do, right? That's what oh, I yeah. honestly think is going Oh, yeah, on. and that's what I'm so excited about as well. I mean, to me, that even fits in with the 4i Cogsci movement. I mean, it's not just you're rethinking subjectivity. I mean, you're you're rethinking your subjectivity in a fully embodied form in the world, right? I mean, you're right. Like you're. I mean, it's. I mean, maybe Siegel or Matt would go out and refer to it as in terms of this organic, speculative sort of ontology type idea. Like, I mean, you're we're fully engrossed in the world, yet fully organic, and you know, nature fully coming into its its own being and aliveness uh and yet needs to go and maintain a healthy relationship to to nature and to our environment um yeah no i i mean i'm totally on board with you in terms of that i mean the other thing too that it makes me think about is i mean the few uh i mean in terms of latour 
I mean, Sean rips into Latour quite a bit and he, he rips into Zizek uh, as well. Uh, and I appreciate it in a certain way. I mean, but uh, I mean, Latour's kind of uh, idea in terms of w- that we've never been modern or even in terms of Habermas feels that, you know, we've never actually, you know, uh, achieved the enlightenment, right? That we're, I mean, it was just, ne- we just never got there. I mean, it's turned into this fragmented mess that needs to go and be fully reintegrated and fully learned and fully, you know, put into, in, into work. Um, See, I, sorry. Go yeah. On. But I mean, either which way, like to me, that the, these debates that they're out there, uh, it's just so rich right now. There's so much going on in terms of, of thought out there. Uh, that I'm so excited about and I'm being exposed to much, you know, kind of for the first time <laughs> in a certain ways. You way see, as the, well. the, the thing that I look at it this way, I think there's a lot of bad scholarship on the Enlightenment. Mm. I mean, a lot of people think the Enlightenment is just, okay, the scientific revolution and then people became semi-learned and then industrialization and slavery and that's it. No, <laughs> that's not what happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, not to sound... Not to sound like I'm I'm being um, you know sarcastic or anything, but the Enlightenment was a was not just you know it wasn't us just rebelling against the medieval era, the Renaissance or anything because the Renaissance was a great era. We were reconnecting with our our heritage of of Greek and Roman and Persian and Indian texts and bringing all this great wonderful literature. It's, you know, it's the start of Hermes Trismegistus in a sense of of resurrecting Hermes Trismegistus in the Renaissance. But the Enlightenment brought the condition for for Romanticism. Mm. Uh, this is my favorite era. Like the yeah. Romantic era is rebelling against the the kind of over cognitive era of the Enlightenment. So this is the one thing that we think of. We think of like cognition, the over you know reason is what leads the Enlightenment, right? Like I'm mocking <laughs> it because, um, but no, well, it's but a not completely just that. disembodied reason. I mean, right. that's like, but yeah. we get, but we get so many brilliant, like we get, um, Holderlin from this and Novalis, we get the Schlegel brothers who, by the way, were all living together. They lived at this, this house with Goethe and Schiller and Schelling was there. And the funny thing is that the enlightenment wasn't just a kind of rationalizing of the world. It was a, it was kind of a, it was a moment where we could, uh, make, as Schelling says, the alpha and the omega, sorry, freedom, the alpha and the omega of everything. And that was not just in society, that was in art and science and philosophy. And, and a lot of this gets lost. And I think, I think um, uh, Latour loses this, this aspect of it. Now, I yeah. want to say one thing about Latour that's interesting. <laughs> I think Latour does a good job of breaking down the subject object distinction but he doesn't rethink it i think he i think we instead of just looking at his actors and networks and making everything a flat ontology i think we need to as Schelling says give the warm breath of of love back of, of sorry of love and life back to nature and to mm. everything yeah. so we don't need to make everything flat in order to understand relations we can still have a relational ontology and think subject and predicate and we can think of these things as long as we make everything equal there's an equality between the predicate or sorry the object and the subject and that the object from its perspective is a subject this is the Schillingian uh, 1800 turn but anyway sorry 
So there's this great rich history that a lot of people aren't, you know, don't get a, don't get a lot of access to and don't think through. And even now, in the in the nature literature, you know, we don't have to just do the speculative realist. Um, we don't have to just jump into OOO object oriented ontology. We don't just have to jump into post humanism. There are people rethinking Holderlin, who was at the time, you know, in his early teenage years, he was living with Hegel and Schelling at Tübinger, at this this school, the seminary school. Yeah. So there's so many thinkers that we can think of. We can. There are people rethinking Goethe. There's there's um, Dalia Nassar actually. Um, I was just looking at her new book recently, and she's rethinking the relationship of the, you know, of the early kind of enlightenment science and and the philosophy of biology and rethinking all of these things, which is wonderful. So there's a lot of pull and push with German idealism and science and technology studies. So there's lots of overlap um, and lots of variety. So we don't have to just be stuck with these theories that are trying to make grand narratives out of <laughs> out of nothing i don't know <laughs> no no for sure no and i mean the, the the text that i really had in mind or even when you know i wanted to have this conversation with you was you know the text that uh, that they put out in terms of rethinking german idealism and i mean i'll put that in the notes there as well i mean there's some great essays in that uh that i mean in that particular book and i mean sean and uh, i think it was jason or i think it I'm not sure if it's Jason that wrote the introduction, but I know Sean wrote it or co-wrote it with somebody. It's Joseph. It's Joseph Carraway, 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 and and uh, Sean that did it. But but J but Jason does have an essay in it, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. Yeah, there's an essay of him in there as well. Yeah. But I mean, the the introduction, just the introduction part to that book, I mean, just blew my mind because it really shows what they've been doing or trying to do through the North American uh, Schelling uh, Society. Um, and I mean, they just, they beautifully talk about, you know, pretty much what we've been talking about, you know, and why German idealism just hasn't died off. In fact, it's, it's, it's coming back to haunt people in a particular way. Uh, Actually, there's a but, line in that text that says the specter, the specter haunting Europe is not, it's not Marx, but, but uh, German idealism. Exactly. Kind of yeah. No, that's it. exactly. That's the exact line. Beautiful. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's what I've been, you know, reading as well. And then obviously like I shared with you, like I just, I, I read Sean's uh, thinking nature after reading your essay. Um, and your essay was just so helpful for me to go out and figure out, well, I mean, I was reading it through the lens of that introduction. Right. So I'd, I'd come off off that. I didn't read all the essays in that particular ontology. Um, but I mean, that's when I grabbed onto your essay and then I fit and I could see, you know, this is what you're wrestling with, mm -hmm. you know, like how does, you know, nature philosophy, uh, you know, how can we rethink nature philosophy in a particular way that, I mean, makes sense for the 21st century, you know, for our, for our particular age. Uh, and it's just so uplifting. It's, it's, uh, to me, it's, it's a message of hope. Right. And it's just not stuck in this, you know, this deconstructive <laughs> nihilism <you> garbage <laughs> that I see all over the place. Like, I just can't stand it. I, like, I mean, this is why I'm so happy to, you know, coming off the conversation with, uh, with Matt Siegel, not Matt McManus, but I mean, and, and with you now, because I thought it was the perfect segue because you guys are, I mean, you guys are just burning that flame, you know, like you're, you're literally like, okay, let, let's spark this up.
you know, like, let's get this thing going here. Um, and to me, that's where the hope really is, you know? Um, Absolutely. So the, like that, in, even in that essay, um, I mean, uh, my background in science is not as strong as Matt. Matt does a lot of, a lot of background in science, you know, debates, physicists, biologists, chemists, everybody, chemists, everybody. But my, m the way that I wanted to um, write that essay was, you know, to do something that Jason Wirth does. Jason Wirth says, you know, in a, a lot of his books, he says he, he wants to think along with Schelling. And that way he doesn't step on, you know, he's a, he's a Buddhist monk, right? Um, yeah. Um, beautiful about that too. He's a really great guy too. And the, the thing is, is that he doesn't want to speak on behalf of Schelling. He wants to think along with Schelling. Um, and, I, and I wanted to do that gesture as well, too. And I wanted to make sure that it was not linear. I wanted to bring up random stuff, which, you know, sometimes disoriented people when they read it. Because, like, why are they bringing up Claire? And then here he's doing some of this other. I did this on purpose because I wanted to do this kind of hermeneutics of, of nature and also rethink nature. But the reason, but the way that I had to rethink nature was to rethink our interactions with nature. And so as you see through it, I call it the symptom, the symptom of the age, which is basically our coming, our awareness of ourselves and of the world, but our, but our awareness of objectifying the world, making the world into an object or into an invented object, as, as Kengiham says. And the funny thing is, is that really all I was doing in that paper is rethinking the concept of nature, making it a more inclusive concept um, and talking about what is dynamism? What is this kind of organic connectivity that we can think through these, um, these relationships? And so really nature is no different than uh, the human. And I get a lot, I'm with, I'm with, um, I'm with Matt on this, that, you know, Matt and I both agree that we're both panpsychists. Mm. Um, and so, like, I, I, I want to extend, like Schelling says, extend reason to nature. Not that I think that nature's sitting there scratching itself saying, oh, what should I rationalize about today? And no, I think that there are certain different degrees of e expressivity with nature and with humans as well. So there's so much that we can do. And so much that we can think through. And there's this great, rich tradition that um, I want more people to uh, think through. Because materialism and the history of materialism is, is so, it's, I think it's destructive. Mm. I think that the new age um, materialists or the reductive materialists, I think they're, they're doing a lot of damage to the world and philosophy. Because we humans we do things when we express ourselves we create things yeah we we need to determine ourselves by doing things um and when we see things that we don't recognize in our own image uh we destroy it we try to consume it we try to make it our own and so i wanted to break that trend no and, and was, I, I think you succeeded i mean i like i just like well because like i was reading it through the rethinking sort of motif yes. and i mean obviously now that you know i'd, I'd uh, you know i read a bit of sean's work and reading you know so i see all those particular influences all at play and i mean it's it's almost impossible for me now to to have got to see a bit of 
of Matt's thinking and, and, you know, in terms of how he's interpreting idealism. So, I mean, that's all speaking to me in the text. Like I'm seeing all these different voices in there. Uh, but to me, it's just what I'm so excited about as well is that it's, it's taking institutional roots. Like, I mean, you guys are, you know, you're up at York. I mean, mm -hmm. Sean's out in, in, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's really taking root in across North America, which I'm, super excited about as well and the fact that it's taking on or like it's really kind of catching fire online and people are communicating online in a much more rapid way like i mean i see so much hope there as well i mean everybody talks about technology as i mean it's 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 a horrible whatever but i mean in you know on the flip side of it i mean we're seeing movements like this right you're seeing these tribes and these groups online that are coalescing around whether they be podcasts or you know, societies, civic societies uh, that are doing this type of work or, you know, universities. And there's a lot of people that are shitting all over our universities these days. <laughs> it's like, but there's, there's some good work going on there, you know, as well. So I, to me, I'm, I'm just latching on to that as a, as a good, just a sense of hope. I'm, I'm very hopeful about that. And the fact that you guys are all young academics coming up, right? I mean, Matt is just, He's just got, you know, like he's just got his professorship, essentially. He's just starting his career. I mean, even Sean. Sean is a pretty, well, I mean, he's a more seasoned academic, but I mean, he's not over the hill in terms of, you know, like uh, like Charles Taylor, for example. Like, you know, he's, he's he's got a lot of, you know, gas left in his tank as well. And I mean, yourself and I mean, Matt McManus and, you know, even the whole crew over at the Pillpod. I mean, they're all PhDs doing this type of work online now. And there's just as much good academic work happening outside the universities uh, and bouncing back, you know, kind of right. having a, a, a boomerang effect back to the universities. So, I mean, to me, that's super exciting type stuff, you know? Yeah. And it's the funny thing is that um, I'm not even in a philosophy department. I'm in the humanities department. I'm in, okay. an, inter I'm in an interdisciplinary um, project because I, Sorry, I'm an interdisciplinary uh, um, department. Faculty or department. Yeah, because I wanted to talk about cosmologies and ontology and theology. I wanted to talk about all three. And you, you can't really do that in a philosophy department when it's really dominated by uh, analytic philosophy. Not that there's anything wrong with analytic philosophy, but, it, uh, can, you know. We, we can say there's a lot wrong with it. <laughs> okay, there's a lot wrong with it. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the. It seems that in the same sense that, you know, the German idealists were, you know, creating encyclopedias and, and shelling like the idea of a sim philosophy, which, by the way, is like a group of people working together, not putting their name on anything and just working out ideas. And the same thing is going on. I'm trying to do the same kind of thing, make a sim philosophical community with other people. Matt's also a part of this, you know, the pill pod and uh, Matt um, McManus is also a part of this as well. Yeah, uh, Matt is actually right out there doing politics. I mean, he's part of the NDP. You know, he's writing. He's, you know, on a, uh, putting out book after book after book. So, I think there's um, I think there's something going on. I think there's something in the air. I agree with you, for sure, a hundred percent. Yeah. No, and I mean, there's. Well, I mean, I don't know if I can, when I think back to. Matt's work in terms of, you know, like, I mean, he, he really is, you know, a sort of 
left-wing activists in a certain way, very engrossed in politics. I mean, with Ben Burgess and stuff like that. But I mean, this, this dimension that I'm seeing now that is very much a to me, a progressive and it's very much to the left sort of thinking that is not as predominant. I mean, it's not something that you'd go and see and, you know, like pop out of, you know, a, an online magazine like Jacobin. Like I have, you know, respect for Marxists and socialists and that type of stuff. But there's this deeper philosophy on the left or on the progressive wing of things is very much present. Um, and I think the, the, there's a lot of hope there as well. I mean, I mean, if you want to go out and call it maybe the, the sort of ecological wing to things on the left is a pretty exciting frame for what you guys are doing as well there. You know what makes of, me, you, you know, it's okay. So I want to, I want to address this because you brought this up and yeah. this is a perfect medium to address this. The problem with the problem with Marxists is that they're too humanist. They don't mm. want to go beyond the human the human sphere. They want to think of things in, in regards to class struggle. They don't want to think about ecology. They don't want to think about the world. We're not going to have a proletariat if there is no world, pretty much. You know, to, just to sound you know, sound kind of vulgar there by saying that, but it's the truth. So, in a sense, I it's not like I I have a lot of Marxist friends, and and I do respect the early Marxist work. I do like you know the German ideology, um, but I think there's more. I mean, Engels wrote a terrible, terrible, terrible text on Schelling, and he did not understand him at all. Mm. And the the kind of um, the young Hegelians from you know even even Feuerbach before that never understood Schelling's philosophy. They were, you know, super pro-Hegelian and and didn't see Schelling's philosophy as progressive, as organic, as this great system. They just thought it as saw him as some state philosopher, um, which is not true. So the, a lot of people see, you know, if you're not working within, as Badiou says, within, you know, the sutured politics, people don't think you're doing anything real and that's the problem no there's or so much while yeah or worthwhile yes so it's we have to kind of desuture ourselves from politics there's a politics has now become everything it's everywhere and nowhere there's mm. theological politics there's ecological politics there's philosophical politics there's all of these things that are kind of you know burning in the background that we we need to start rethinking as opposed to just marxism that's my take on it no, for sure. Yeah. No. And I mean, and the little that I've read on Schelling as well, I mean, it's not only just a, a philosophy of nature, but I mean, it's a philosophy of revelation. So you're talking yes. philosophy of religion. Uh, and then again, back to Sean's work is on that as well. Um, and I'm deeply concerned about what's going on on the left. And this came up in my conversation with Matt as well, uh, Siegel, that, uh, you know, that the, the, we're, the left has been seeding uh, religion uh, mm -hmm. very much to the right and to conservatives, which is a real shame because, I mean, there's just as much of a rich tradition, uh, you know, very much on the left. I mean, even somebody like Pope Francis and, I mean, Sean McGrath, I mean, in terms of some of the writing that he writes about there in terms of how excited he is about the, the encyclical in terms of, uh, you know, on the environment that he went out and wrote. Um, and that to me is all very exciting type stuff as well. Um, but you're seeing a, a backlash of that very much on the right, right? And Matt McManus actually writes about that quite a bit in terms of his concern there in terms of, you know, the, the sort of trad Catholics and <laughs> crazy but you know that, that I mean, that's just, well. that just stereotype, stereotypes. I mean, look at, 
look at Paul Tillich. Paul Tillich yeah. is a Christian socialist. Exactly. Carl Lewis. Yeah. I mean, there's so much. Um, Karl Rahner, like so many, so many great thinkers in this Catholic tradition. Keep in mind, this Catholic tradition is coming so from is coming from Germany and Bavaria. Yeah. And who are they studying with? They're studying with students of Heidegger and mm. Habermas and Gadamer and Jaspers and all of these great, wonderful thinkers are coming out of this tradition and they're rethinking these things. Mm. Um, and it's funny because in a sense, you know, people are slightly returning to the the spe- kind of speculative theology, even Zizek, you know, in this, yeah. this talk with Peterson, he, you know, he he called himself a like a crit like a, what did he call him an atheist christian or something like that i think he, he he referred to himself as yeah um and he referred to himself as a hegelian not a marxist so there's a lot of things that are you know kind of emerging where where and i and i agree with you that that this you know this dismissal of of theology and, and even the spiritual roots to anything is very problematic because we have a, a bunch of well, not a bunch of, sorry, we have a, a sect of materialists that are calling the shots and they find anything that is spiritual or, you know, immaterial or anything speculative to be problematic. Yeah. Um, and that's also, I mean, that's, we're, we're living in a kind of spiritual decay right now. Like, look, you go on YouTube, what's on YouTube? ASMR everywhere you look. Reiki, yeah. Reiki you know, people are trying to, are rethinking Hinduism and Buddhism and, Right, yeah. we're having a kind of spiritual crisis, and people are trying to find their their mark in something. You know, totally. some people are re- people are rethinking Catholic philosophy. Yeah, I mean, I went through this tradition. I after reading Sean, and I wanted to read everything, and I went to a Catholic school when I was younger. So I mean, like, I yeah. wanted to read all of these wonderful texts, and they're great. I mean, you don't read Augustine's Confessions, you're missing out on something. You don't read, you know. For sure, uh, Can- John of Canterbury or Anselm or any of these things. So it's, it's. No, I don't know. It, I well, there's. This, I mean, one, the Catholic tradition. I mean, the the Catholic intellectual tradition and Catholic theology is so rich and so deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, even within the Protestant tradition as well. I mean, once you really right. get into it, I mean, it's just as rich and just as uh, inspiring and very touching. And I mean, I, I can't do philosophy without thinking about theology in a certain way. I mean, it's because of my, even my own formation in terms of, uh, you know, in religious studies, I mean, I wasn't doing theology proper. I mean, it's the sociology and anthropology of religion, but uh, what I appreciated about being exposed to that is we took a very cosmopolitan sort of look at things, right? You weren't allowed to just go and study one tradition. They forced you to go and study two traditions. So, you know, I, I studied most of most of the credits that I went out and accumulated were all in East Asian philosophy. So in Japan and some parts of China in terms of Zen Buddhism and Chan actually in, uh, in China and in Zen uh, in Japan. And I got exposed to the Kyoto School through that as well, which is another tangent, I guess we could go and should go on. But. No, no, please do. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. Um, my German, my, you know, I, yeah, someone so I'm learning German right now. It's been yeah. about two and a half years. And I I had to learn. I was doing French and failing miserably, unfortunately. Sorry, sorry to all the French listeners. But, um, but you're picking was, up German. I'm doing German, yeah, and I'm I'm picking up very well. And actually, okay. <laughs> my my German my German teacher is a Heideggerian, 
yeah. and a Taoist and a Taoist monk, actually, believe it or not. And he teaches at York too. This is the funniest oh. thing. And he reads Heidegger as a he he has a kind of Chinese Heidegger, he calls it. Uh, and it's true because in the 1950s, Heidegger is ringing, reading Zhuangzi and and Laozi and and translating the Tao Te Ching. And um, I actually, you know, it was so funny. Um, about two years ago, there was a Japanese conference on Japanese philosophy, and he had asked me to come and present. And I said, you know, I know nothing about. I'm one of those people that if I don't know anything about something, I'm not going to talk about it because no way, no way. <laughs> He said, look, I'm going to give you a couple articles. I want you to look at this tradition. So I started reading Nishitani. So KG Nishitani, number one. I didn't know that this young man, when he was in his teens, translated Schelling's freedom essay, became an early Schellingian. This is insane. Was a Schellingian and then met Heidegger, went to Freiburg and studied with Heidegger. Insane. There was Brilliant. a lot, a lot oh, of so Japanese much. scholars that, that that have done that. Yeah, no, no, for sure. I mean, it's. I mean, I, I love the way uh, Matt uh, Siegel put it. I mean, in terms of like how everything is entangled. Yes. Um, and that's. I mean, that's how I was. I mean, that's that sort of diet how I was exposed to to go and do philosophy and and have an open mind to, in terms of what religion actually really is. It's it's a, it's something that's always in in. Well, it's always in dynamic change, uh, and you can't go out and really pin it down. I mean, the more you try to go out and pin it down, the more you realize that you're completely off the mark in a certain way. Uh, and that's the cool thing about the California Institute of Integral Studies, right? I mean, Matt, I mean, that's really where he's coming from, yet he's really honing in on the Western tradition, bringing that into a dialogue with the East. Um, and that's something, too, that you guys have been doing as well. I mean, on the Discord I'm always amazed how many people are interested in, you know, East Asian philosophy and comparative philosophy uh, and some of the texts that they're bouncing around on there, man, it's, it's turned into be like, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's something, that I, it's something that I find um, really, really important. Um, before, before COVID happened again, um, a friend of mine told me to read the Bhagavad Gita. He nice. said, now read the Bhagavad Gita and then read Plato's Republic and tell me that this doesn't predate Plato's Republic. And it's and it's insane. It's so insane how it's so close to it yeah. in terms of like Plato's auxiliaries and stuff and, and, and just, you know, Arjuna um, and uh, Krishna talk in their, their talk. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I it was, you know, reading German idealism that brought me to this, right? It was reading Schelling that by the way, Schelling's mythology, and this is the wonderful thing about Schelling's mythology, is that he doesn't have the typical mythology that you know Christianity is the be all end all. No, he he sees um, he sees mythology as, and mythologies and all of these cultures as content for consciousness that's filled in the kind of story of humanity, right? So mm. from the Egyptians to the Persians to India to uh, he calls it the hindu kush all the way up into in china as well he's got wonderful lectures on taoism um and 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 Lao Tzu. and the funny thing is is that you know even schopenhauer schopenhauer mm. had such a yep. a really strong reading of buddhism as well too and there's all of this in this tradition and then look we're back to german idealism we talked about <laughs> integral and east asian spot and now we're talking about german idealism again so all of this is coming from this tradition 
And then they're pulling from the materials that they had at the time, which is, you know, in science and all of these things, and even in uh, East Asian philosophy. It's, it's, it's interesting that um, Schelling had a chance to go on an archaeological dig with an archaeologist called Johann Wagner, um, Maximilian II. Well, the English were bombing Rome. <laughs> Not, no joke. Um, <laughs> Schelling and uh, Johann Wagner went to um, Florence and mm. were doing archaeological digs and bringing back stuff. Um, that's still to this day, I think, in the Munich Museum, actually, which is interesting. But you know what I mean? There's there was this this essence of going out and finding the world, not just philosophizing in in a yeah. chair like Descartes. You know what I'm saying? Like totally. Um, yeah. Sorry. No, I went no, on a for sure. There. <laughs> no, I mean, and that's that's a beautiful tangent on that. But I mean, I guess, how do you feel about the language thing? Because you said you're learning German now, um, and this was actually a question that I mean, because you did. I mean, you're interested in Deleuze as well, right? I mean, it's Deleuze being translated into English that there's a real kind of Deleuzian boom that's happened over the last little while. So, I mean, the, I wonder, cause I mean, I'm French speaking and I'm from Quebec and I worry a bit about at times, uh, I mean, the, the linguistic bubbles that we might be in, right. In terms of, you know, I'm excited that it's taking root in North America in a particular way, but I mean, it's a uniquely Anglophone American Canadian sort of, uh, I'd hate to use the word appropriation, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, like, I totally agree that it, it, it's all entangled in a certain way and it's, uh, but I guess, yeah. How do you feel about the, 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 the linguistic <laughs> turn to this type of thing? Would well, you make sense of that? I struggled with French, but I, I still like, I still could read. I could still, you know, read, I mean, I, at the time I was reading Main de Baron and Felix Ravesson, and there weren't r- many translations into English. So I had to read the French and I had to sit there and spend hour after hour kind of going through and using my trusty dictionary. And the problem is, is that what's happening, even with the French sources, that all the main canonized thinkers are being translated like Foucault, Nancy, nothing, there's nothing wrong with Nancy Derrida, Sarez, like all these people. But then there's this beautifully rich tradition like Blondel and Bergson and La Chalier and Maine de Baron and Ravesson and, and Cousin. That's part of the French spiritualism. That's, by the way, it's slowly picking up as well, too. There's a yeah. lot of people writing dissertations and, and thinking about Ravesson and Biron and some of them are being translated. But, you know, the thing that upsets me about the about Deleuze is that Deleuze is such a in vogue right now that that he's kind of like a black hole. He swallows everything. Like people need to sell books, so they write his name in the book. Okay. Um, to to you know to kind of show, oh hey, he's relevant right now, and you don't need to do that. Yeah. I mean, um, especially with Bergson or any of these great French thinkers, and there are lots of French thinkers that should be being read. Um, the funny thing is at the Schelling conference, I met a. I met a, a student from Paris and she was presenting on French spiritualism and its relation to German idealism. So she was mm. talking about Cousin and Ravesson and their relation to Schelling. And um, we were talking about all of these sources and she had known, she had, she had um, heard of me because I, I spoke at Lyon about, about this at one point about okay. Schelling and 
And one of the questions was about this and I talked about it for a bit. And she was super, super happy. We we're talking about these sources. So yes. So in terms of the, in terms of, of that, I wish there was more, you know, more kind of, you know, marginalized writers being translated. And also Deleuze translated into English is really, was really hard. Right, I think um, I think it's Pat Patton. Is it Patton that translated the? Could be Patton. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, even Pills did a recent uh, pod on the archive. Oh yes, Daniel through, W. Smith. Yeah. yeah, which is pretty cool as well. I mean, like, I mean, I have a bit of a background because in religious studies we do. Uh, I mean, a lot of people end up falling into the more historical and do archival type stuff. So, I mean, the minute I hear archive, I'm like, oh, like I, like I light up. I'm like, oh, my God, we're, you know, like, uh, so that pulls into some, some of my interest in terms of library studies and stuff like that and how that crisscrosses over with religious studies. But the, I mean, a big part of religious studies is, is I mean, it's the language games mm -hmm. that happens, right? I mean, yep. as things are translated from one uh, one language into another, but also how it's transplanted, you know, across the globe. I mean, how Buddhism eventually moved to North America. I mean, it's no longer the same type of Buddhism that was originally. Um, and some people see that as bad. Other people see that as innovation, um, you know, and, and dynamic change that brings in new new ways of interpreting things. So me, to, to me, that's exciting. Uh in a way, but I, I've been fascinating, I guess, with that question, watching you guys, because you guys are, I mean, previous, some of your previous, I mean, you're recovering and delusion. So <laughs> that part, I don't, I don't want to press you too much on that, but the, uh, <laughs> the no, no, the, no, the you, can, you, you can totally, <laughs> the, I'm still friends with tons of delusions and they, yeah. and it just, it's just, I just well, kind of got out of the material. Not that I, I don't yeah. find it. I mean, I joke on, you're on discord. So, you know, I, yeah. I joke, I, rant and rave about Deleuze, but I, it's just a joke about, you know, yeah. I have an inside joke about it, but sorry, I interrupted you. Go on. Well, no, but I guess I, it, like my antenna goes up and, and thinking that, you know, well, there's, there's a language game happening here. It's being translated into French, into English. Right. And we're witnessing a huge amount of German idealism now being translated into English. And to me, that's not bad or it's not good. To me, it's, I mean, I see this as, oh, this is going to have a major impact somewhere along the line but you know, on people's you know the... minds and people of going out and interpreting the world. So I am super excited to see you guys rethinking German idealism. But it's, it's interesting to me to go and see that, you know, it's the Franco-German traditions that are being yes. reinterpreted within North America. And being transformed and, and taking root within our own particular institutions and, you know, within new generations of students and stuff like that, that are, that are, I mean, growing up in a completely different context. So, which is cool to, for me, from a sociological and historical sort of phenomenon as well. So like I had uh, a, I had a Hegelian professor once tell me, this is really funny Yeah, that um, Hegel and Marx left, North America when McCarthyism started because it got it got confused as as you know Sovietism um, so like there, a lot of the a lot of the the German thinkers you know the, I don't know if this is true or not I'm just from just saying okay, what, yeah. what he would what he preached in one of the classes yeah. and that during McCarthy the, the witch hunts you know that they had 
um, anybody reading anything um, related to German idealism because of Hegel and Marx's relation to, to Russia and, and the USSR and Sovietism, oh. that a lot of it got removed. And then we had this, I guess, renaissance in the 70s, rethinking uh, rethinking freedom and um, maybe some religious aspects. And then in the 80s, you had you know, deconstruction really picking up again and the French kind of coming over because a lot of the French thinkers um, came over to America. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, some of the Germans did too because Habermas actually taught at McMaster in Hamilton, which is mind-blowing. But, you know, like the, a lot of these French thinkers, like Derrida was at the University of New York. Um, I think... Nancy had come over a couple times. Like a lot of the, a lot of the. I saw Ranciere with with pills. You know when when Ranciere came here, um, York was it at Ryerson? Is it Ryerson? I think we went and saw it. Yeah, maybe. Really. The politics of art. Yeah, politics, politics of aesthetics. Yeah. So I think it was just the. Um, I don't know if it had. You know, I've always wondered if maybe it's because Canada's heritage is is also French as well too, right? I mean, we are also indigenous, but we yeah. have a lot of a French background that maybe that's that's what kind of maybe, you know, maybe helped, you know, push the, the French thinkers um, into popularity. Because I well, know in even this, Hegelian, I mean, the Hegelian type stuff yeah. up at the University of Pittsburgh, the guy is oh, like, yes. Brandon, Brandon. And then Brandon. obviously we have Taylor up in Canada. I mean, there's Grant as well. So, I mean, there's quite a bit of stuff that's written on Canada in terms of a Canadian idealist tradition, right, that is based on Hegelian-type thought. So, I mean, it's there either which way, but, I mean, when it comes back to the four at various points in history and stuff like that, to me, it's it's interesting to, to, go, out and, to go out and do that. And I'm, I'm interested in just kind of the Canadian history of philosophy and Canadian history well, the, the the philosophy of history in Canada and how it compares to North America or the U.S. as well is an interesting question. So the the founding of the Schelling uh, Society as an event is a really his, interesting historical moment, I think, you know, in terms of what's going on there with uh, German idealism within the, the North American context. So I can give you a little I can give you a little uh, backstory on this because. Okay. Um, so Sean and Jason stepped down from presidents of the North American Schelling Society um, because they wanted to um, pass it kind on, kind of give give the torch on to a new generation. So now we have Talatama Rajan, who is a Schellingian from Western University, so still Canadian, and we have um, an American um, uh, professor who's amazing she's just the sweetest and most intellectually brilliant um scholar you'll ever meet um marcella garcia who's um, amazing um and so there they kind of let it on but so jason and and sean are still are still there so this is what they said so before they kind of hand handed off the the torch they said that just like what i said there was nobody talking about shelling and they just wanted to get together and and talk about shelling and and they run their own journal too kabiri by the way yeah um which is a fantastic journal so like a friend of mine kyla bruff who teaches at carleton university in canada who's also studying you know who's working on 
Schelling and Adorno um, and is publishing a book that's coming out soon. Um, uh, it's just so amazing how this, this started. They, they just wanted to, you know, get a bunch of people together and their students and Jason got his students and Sean got his and they started this great, wonderful um, uh, society and their first, their first, and they got in touch with um, one of the, one of the, the great, great German sources of Schelling studies, um, Laurie Hewn, and, and they got a conference in Germany and then they just kind of crisscrossed. They went from Germany to uh, Mexico City to Seattle where Jason lives and then from Seattle to Newfoundland and, and then and then actually they linked the the Japanese Schelling Society with the North American Schelling Society. So oh, we had Japanese no scholars. Yeah. I didn't know Jap that. Yeah. So Japanese scholars linked and and now I believe they're um linking up with the um European um Schelling Society who's run by it's run in, in England by um Daniel Whistler, who's an unbelievable good scholar and really nice dude as well. Oh, so. okay, cool. Oh, yeah, so, so I didn't I really... didn't realize the the international connections there as well. Well, I knew that it was in liaison, the North American one that was in cahoots with the European. I mean, it, they needed approval to go and set that up. But I mean, even but, that is is cool to go and witness as well that they're kind of passing on the baton in terms of you know tradition they're passing on and how that's going to go and you know. Uh, take on a bit of a life of its own with a new generation of, of scholars playing around. But let me let me tell you how humble these guys are because yeah. they were the nicest people I've ever met. Yeah. They sat there and said, listen, we're not the society. You are the society. And yeah. they pointed to all of us. They said, and we're, we look to you. We looked, you know, this is a growing society now and we want more scholars to get involved and we want more people involved with the journal and all of these things. And so um, it's really, really nice hearing that because, you know, I never knew these people before. I just had their books and I read their books and yeah. maybe spoke to them once in a while via email or on Twitter or on Facebook or something. Yeah. And then to meet them and them to them be is just as nice and just as warm and, and encouraging. And let me tell you, like I, I've sent emails back and forth with Sean multiple times and he has written, I can't even tell you like war and peace length style emails telling me to, you know, keep cool. doing what you're doing. Yeah. You know, think this never. And he, you know, he'll send me a bunch of Bible passages as well too. Like rethink this, really think about the, yeah. the theological aspect that's in this passage from Schelling. And, you know, he doesn't have to do that. And, and I think no. that's just so nice, you know? Yeah. No, that's great news. I mean, I'm happy. Oh, I mean, because Jason as well. I mean, Jason, well, I know that Sean has a bit of a rapport kind of with integral philosophy, but Jason does through, um, I mean, because Matt raved, uh, Matt Segal, not Matt McManus, too many Matts yeah. bouncing around here, uh, in terms of uh, the conversations that they've had around the California Institute of Integral Studies. So that to me is an interesting twists on all of this as well so that is is interesting to see actually uh, jason jason and i yeah we email back and forth we share pictures of shelling so rare pictures of shelling him and i email back and forth i've sent him a couple pictures of i sent him one picture of heidegger at, in the hut with a picture of shelling on the table and i sent that to him and he loved yeah. that and and then i sent him a, a couple other pictures that i i found from the munich um archives 
Um, and so I, I, once in a while, I'll just send them to him. I'll be like, Hey, here's another picture. And, and just thank you, Chris. So, so it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, well, to me, these are all conversations to be continued as well. I mean, this is, I wanted to have this conversation for you. I mean, when I launched the pod, I, you know, I shared with you that yet, yeah, trust me, I'm going to reach out at one point. And once I had yeah. Matt lined up that Matt Segal, I knew that, Oh, that's it. I got to get Chris on to go and, uh, spark this up and see uh, have a good in-depth dive around german idealism or rethinking german idealism so uh so no i mean thank you so much for your time um and trust me we're going to be having a lot more conversations and <laughs> all right <laughs> well thank you for for having me on and um i'm i listen to your sorry th there's lots of noise i'm in the city so no oh, no stress um you know, I listened to your show with, with Matt Siegel and it was amazing. Yeah. And you do a really good job. You have a really good <laughs> podcast voice. So this is cool. good. Yeah, no, for sure. And yeah. I think you, your shows will get, you know, and I'll help spread it around too. So, you know, I'll do my best to, you know, get it out there. Cause I think you're well, doing a great job. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, thank you so much. Like I said, and you know, the emails we exchanged, I mean, this to me has just been so much fun. So, and it's, it's a whole education for me, <laughs> ongoing education uh, for me as well. So I, I can't thank you enough and it's giving me so much meaning and hope as well. So definitely. But you know, I wanted, I wanted to say one, one last thing. My grandfather yeah. who was a, was also, he was a professor at George Brown college. He used to always say to me that L I F E, Learning is forever, and as cheesy as that sounds. Yeah. But there's something I've noticed about you. You are someone that always, you're always wanting to learn. That's what I like about you. If, mm. Even if you don't know something, you want to learn about something. You ask a question or ask for something to read or ask this or, you know what I'm saying? So this is, for this sure. Is a, this is a trait that you have that I think is really good, and you should keep harnessing, <clears throat> sorry, you should keep harnessing this skill and, and harness um, you know, all the stuff that you're learning and and keep doing it because I think you're going to do really well. So thank you for having me too. No, definitely. Thank you. And to be continued, that's the way I like to end it. All right. <laughs> Peace, bud.